Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see everybody this morning, and uh, yeah, happy holiday weekend, and I'm so glad that uh, you're here with us today. Well, today we're in, as Nicole mentioned, we're in part two of a three-part series that we've entitled Nucleus, and um, as you know, many of you, um, we're in a, a kind of a journey together this year as a church called 365. If you're newer to Brookside, we're reading through the Bible together this year. And then on Sunday mornings, we're teaching out of those readings. And so we're to the point now where we're in the book of Acts. And so we're taking three weeks, and we've titled the series Nucleus because we're looking at three things that we see come out of the book of Acts that are just critical. Three core things that just rise to the top in importance level for us to have as a local church, for us to thrive as a local church, but also for us to thrive individually in our walks with Jesus Christ. And I would say that the topic that we're going to cover this morning, I would put it in the, if I was to pick as a pastor and as a follower of Christ, and as a father even, I would say, wow, if I could pick just a handful of things that I would love for us to grow in and to continue just to, um, for God to teach us and lead us in, I would put this morning's topic right at the top of the list um, for us. And so I'm really excited to dive into this, been praying that God would do just some really cool things as we open up the book of Acts today. So would you join me with all that said, and let's just go before the Lord and let's say, God, you've got us here for a reason today. And so, Lord, and with a, a spirit of really anticipation, God, would you speak to us in this place. So would you pray with me, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, uh, we again, we just want to say thank you, God. You are the amazing God that we can come before and, and worship here today. And Father, you know us by name. You are a good Heavenly Father. And Father, we want to just pray to you today, and we just want to say with humble hearts, we want to ask you, Lord, would you speak to us? Um, it is so exciting to think about how in your word this morning, you're going to lead us to that point of just knowing that you desire to have not a stale or a, a rote relationship with us, but it is one where it is alive and active. And so, Father, we are excited to hear that, and Father, would pray that you would lead us. Father, we pray that we would leave here today having heard from you. And uh, no one's here by accident, Lord, we trust that. And so, Lord, even right now, and I would just encourage church right now, would you just say to the, to the Lord on your own, would you just say, Lord, would you speak to me now? Lord, would you speak to me in this place? And so just take just a moment on your own just to do that. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that when we pray to you, Lord, you hear our prayers and you know every person in here by name and everything about us. And Father, you invite us not into an empty religion, but you invite us into something that is so dynamic and rich and has such depth. And so, Father, I pray that today you would speak afresh, that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us in this place. Uh, Lord, I pray you protect my words, that you would guide each one of them and that the truth of your word would be made known today. We pray in Christ's name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Well, hey, let me begin with a question today. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, or oftentimes I would say, it's more effective in communication to lead with a question than it is to lead with a statement? Let me give you an example. I've been noticing this around our home. When I say to our kids oftentimes nearing the end of the evening and they're reading a book or playing or doing whatever, and I say to them, hey, it's, it's time for bed, uh, uh, go brush your teeth. What I'm noticing is when I make that statement, it's as though they don't hear me. And so much so that I've looked at Christina and I've said, 
did you hear me? Because no one's moving. Like, there, there's like a vo- is there something wrong with my voice? What's going on, you know? But if I do this instead, if I pose a question, it has more impact. And so if I say, hey, it's time for bed, does anyone still need to do anything? And then it really helps, and I can slowly see the gears starting to move. No action yet, but I can see thought process, right? But then if I say this, who's going to be the leader? Then competitive spirits begin to well up, and there's action, right, in the room. It's effective. Isn't it true that sometimes a good question will lead you to action much better than someone just telling you something? Um, Here's another example that just something that has hit me in the, the last couple of weeks. At the Leadership Summit, there was this question that was posed to these thousands and thousands, really hundreds of thousands of leaders that were listening. And the question was this, what legacy will your life leave? powerful question. The question was getting at, what will your life leave that will be beyond you? Will there be anything that you gave your God-given days to that will outlive you? Anything of that significant, of that kind of significance? This is another question that got me in, and, and this, one's, this one's strong. It's holiday weekend. I'm sorry. I think you can handle it, though. Here it is. In the last 30 days, am I becoming increasingly more or less like the person that God desires me to be. In the last 30 days, have I become more or less like the person that God desires for me to be? Now, you, you have to sit in a question like that. And if you do, it leads to action. Questions can be powerful. This morning, I want to leave you with one question. One question that I think if you'll ask this question, I would say if you would ask this repeatedly for a while, I think it could actually be a part of just kind of who you are and and how you think. And if so, I think it could impact your life for years to come. What we're going to see this morning as we open up the book of Acts is that among other things, more than any Bible in more than any book in the Bible, the book of Acts is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's about the fact that we're going to see these supernatural transformations happen that are led by the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see, a complete game changer for us this morning, is that this same, that the Holy Spirit, that the power that we're going to see that God just exposes as we learn about the Holy Spirit this morning, we're going to see that the Spirit of God can be alive in us. And so my question for us this morning is this, and I would encourage you, would you jot this question down? Here it is. Am I alive to the Spirit of God who is alive in me? Am I alive to the Spirit of God who is alive in me? Meaning this, do I sense God's leadings? Do I sense God's promptings? Do I continually see how God directs and leads my life? Or would I say this, that the Spirit of God that is alive in me I kind of forget about it. And I might even be very faithful. I might even be maybe a pretty religious person. But maybe you forget, okay, the Spirit of God is alive in you. Maybe you're kind of absent-minded even from that. Or maybe, you know, you're a faithful person, but you just kind of get into a system or a routine. And all of a sudden, you forget that God is alive and active. And he sent his, his Spirit to be alive in you and I. Now, if you're new this morning and you're, maybe you're exploring faith in Christ Um, I just want to encourage you, hang with me, because I really think this will come together for you this morning, and I think you'll be able to walk away, and you'll be amazed at the fact that in Christianity, how God relates to his people, it is amazing. 
and the depth at which and the intimacy at which your heavenly Father wants to interact with you. It's it's life-changing. And so here's where we're going. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there now. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. And Luke writes this right away. He says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them. Now he is Jesus Christ. So after his suffering, going to the cross, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Now, here's the thing. Jesus Christ, at this point, he has done his earthly ministry, right? He's, he's, he's grown up. He's done his public ministry, three and a half years about of that. He's gone to the cross to pay for the penalty of the sin of all mankind. And then after he goes to the cross, he gets put in a tomb. He dies, he gets put in a tomb. He proves that he is God by rising from the dead. And now he appears to his followers over a period of 40 days. And when he appears to them, he tells them something that was so incredibly important. He said this, do not leave Jerusalem. Again, he's gone to the cross. He's been resurrected from the grave. And he's with them. And now he's saying, hey, as you are about to go do your life, you got to keep this in mind. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, disciples is what he's saying. Disciples, I've commissioned you to go do great things. I've commissioned you. I've said I'm going to launch you out to do great things for my name to make me known. But hold up. Don't lift a finger toward accomplishing that mission until you've received the gift that my Father, Heavenly Father, has promised to you. Now, we see this true. If you read through the Gospels, we see over time and time again that Jesus, as he interacted with his followers, he baffled them many times. He said things to them like this. He said, you know, I'm with you now, but there's going to be a time when I'm going back to my, my Father in heaven, and I'm going to leave you. But after I leave, someone's going to come, and he's going to be even greater than me. He's going to do even greater things in and through you than I could do confined to my human body. And so he, Jesus was constantly saying, hey, the, the Spirit of God is going to come, and he's going to indwell in you. And when he does, that gift is going to be a complete game changer. We know this from studying the scriptures. When the Spirit of God is alive in us through faith in Jesus Christ, what does he do? He strengthens us. He equips us. He allows us to have spiritual gifts. He convicts us of sin. And then when we're convicted, he reminds us that through Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. And we're recipients of his grace. He protects us each and every hour. He's close to us. He's not far from us. He ensures that one day through faith in Christ, we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. But even beyond that, while we're still here, the spirit of God alive in us, he prompts us. He opens doors for us. He amazes us by the things that he does in our lives. But even on top of all of that, what we're going to see this morning is that the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God came, he launched the church. He allowed for these redemptive gatherings of people to begin to assemble, groups of people that would bring hope to hopeless people. That through the Holy Spirit, there would be people that are marginalized in society and they would have a voice because of these local gatherings that God would put together called the church. The church, completely dependent on the Spirit 
of God. These little redemptive communities where the rich would serve the poor. Um, these redemptive communities where more than anything, where people who were spiritually lost would be able to find and follow Jesus Christ. And so the Holy Spirit we're going to see empowers and it launches, it launches the local church. It's incredible what we read about in the, in the book of Acts here. And so Jesus says to these disciples, he says, hey, I, I've got something great for you. But he says, hey, you got to stay put. The Spirit of God is coming. You're going to miss me when I'm gone, yes, but the Spirit of God is coming, and he will do such great things. You will be so glad. You'll be amazed at the fact that the Spirit of God will be alive in you, every one of you. I'm going. My earthly body, I'm going. My work is done here, but the Spirit of God is coming, and it will be a game changer for your life. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus said this, he said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good. And I, th I think the disciples must have been like, yeah, but Jesus, is it really for our good? Because Jesus, we love you. We love being with you. But he says, no, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, in other words, it's translated, it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will not come to you unless I go. But if I go... I will send him to you. Jesus was making it undeniably clear. Disciples, I've given you an incredible mission. Matthew 28, you go, you make disciples of all the nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this was huge for them. But he says, hey, don't even think about trying to accomplish that mission until my Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit comes. And then the Holy Spirit will empower you and he'll equip you. And then you'll be able to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But know this, my spirit is what will be doing the work. My spirit alive in you. Am I alive to the spirit of God that is alive in me? When you see God do big things in your life, many of you know, you can name different things in your life where you've just seen the hand of God at work. It's in those times that we should point to God and we should say, oh, that's the Spirit of God alive in me. That's the Spirit of God doing that. It's this gift that God promised that would not be dead inside of a Christ follower, but it would be alive. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I want you to wait here. I want you to wait right here, stay put. And then he tells them what's going to happen. This is their response. They said to him, Acts chapter 1. It says that they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time then going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now for any first century Jew, this was an okay question to ask. Rightly so, they asked this question. Because what they're thinking in their mind is they're, they're thinking, okay, the spirit of God is coming, that's great. But let's be honest, our here and now is pretty rough. God, sure, you're going to call us to do great things. Yes, you've given us the great commission. But Lord, let's be honest. Right here, right now, our local government stinks. We're living under Roman oppression. We're being taxed to the hilt for things that we shouldn't be. We're being taken advantage of. And so their question back to Jesus was, Jesus, when this spirit makes its final descent to, to us and, and is in our midst and is alive in us, is your kingdom going to come in such a way that you're going to change our local government? Are you going to do that? Is that the change that you're going to bring about? But Jesus had something so much bigger in mind. But instead of chiding them for their response, he simply says this to them. Verse 7, 
He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. And this was huge. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He was pointing them to something so much greater. Have you ever felt that you had a goal in your life that God put in your heart something for you to do, but you felt overwhelmed by it? And maybe you've walked faithfully down that path, and maybe it was to invest in a relationship, maybe it was to lead a group, maybe it was to be a witness at work, whatever it was. And you sensed, hey, God, you want this for me. But in the midst of that, you felt like, wow, I am, I am incapable of doing this well. You ever felt that way? Overwhelmed? Jesus was speaking to the core of their being, and he was saying, the task is so great, but... My spirit of God will be, the, the spirit of God will be so effective in and through you. He was saying to them, I'm going to carry you. And I was so encouraged thinking about this this week. I was thinking about our mission together as a church, Brookside. Our mission is to help people find and to follow Jesus Christ. And you watch about two minutes of the news and you realize, wow, we have a lot of work to do. We've got For the City painted on the wall. We're in a huge initiative. We're saying, God, we want to see you do things in our city that we've never seen done before. We want to see the gospel get spread. We want to see multiple campuses reaching many people. We want to build a care center. We want to do all of these things for you and for your honor. And I was encouraged this week because remember this, church. Those things will happen not out of our strength. Those things will happen out of the Spirit of God alive in us. And that doesn't mean we just sit back and go, oh, I don't need to be engaged. But that means that we sit back and we say, God, are, you're seriously allowing us to walk with you because the Spirit of God is alive in us. God, you're, you are allowing us to be your conduit to help hopeless people find hope. It's incredible. Be encouraged by that. Complete dependence. 1 John chapter 4 says this, verse 4. It says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The Spirit of God is alive in you if you're a follower of Christ. Now, when we get to Acts chapter 2, kind of continuing on this morning, we're going to see in dramatic fashion the Spirit of God comes and the Spirit of God lands on this church and it inaugurates a new day when God's Spirit will inhabit his people. And so it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now just try to wrap your brain around what this was like. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were, where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. Now here, just verse 2. There was this blowing, this violent wind. Scholars translate this like it was of tornado epic proportion. And what's happening is the Spirit of God is not coming in any kind of subtle way. It's not like the windows are open and there's a gentle breeze. It's 72 degrees out. And it's a lovely day. Let's air out the home. No. This was big. The Spirit of God was coming, and it came so strong. And when it, when it came, then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, and they came down to rest on them. And then it says this, verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Try to wrap your brain around that for a minute. 
So you've got people speaking in languages they've never spoken before. The Spirit of God has landed on them, and many other languages are all of a sudden being heard. Imagine that we had the Duck Dynasty crew up here on stage. Rough, tough group, you know. Somebody clapped. You wish they were coming. Yeah, yeah. They're very expensive. I've checked into bringing them here. Yeah, but, <laughs> but they, let's just say they were up here. And they were talking to us, right? And all of a sudden, right in the midst of their speech, they started talking like their rough, tough voices. They started talking this beautiful French, right? And it just kind of covered the room. And you were like, wow, who's that, right? It would be like that. Or imagine we're singing our last song this morning. And all of a sudden, as you're singing in English, you begin to sing in a language you've never studied, not one single day in your life. That's how dramatic this was. It was huge. And the symbolism behind the fact that there were many languages that were being heard is nothing trite at all. God was making such a point that the gospel, that the message of Jesus Christ, it wasn't just a Hebrew thing. It wasn't just for just this one little small group of people or a big group of people. It was for the entire globe. This was a global thing that the gospel would go forth and it would be for every tribe and every tongue and every language and every culture and every race. There would be no division. But everyone would hear this gospel. And this gospel wouldn't be limited to a few. This gospel would be for everyone. And so in dramatic fashion, it says, hey, this, this is a global. This is global in scope. Now, here's where I want to bring this together this morning. I want to look with you as we get into chapter 2. It's some, some examples in the book of Acts that give evidence to how the Spirit of God looks when he's alive in ordinary people. What does it look like? I mean, if you were to truly ask that question that I'm begging you to ask over and over again when you leave this place, am I alive to the Spirit of God that's alive in me? When you ask that question, these are some things, these are some ways that the Spirit of God is alive in us. And so let's do this. Let's start with Peter. We see in Acts chapter 2, we know this for sure about Peter, stepping back a little bit. Peter's an ordinary guy, isn't he? Occupation, fisherman. We know that just a few days before this that Peter has uh, become a little bit scared and he's denied Christ. So Peter had an opportunity and, and when the, in the heat of the moment when Jesus was really kind of under more stress than he'd ever been under and he's going to the cross, some you know, person says, hey, weren't you with Jesus, Peter? And Peter says, in the moment, he says, no, I wasn't with him. Then it happens again. Peter, oh, hey, hey, we saw, aren't you that guy that was with Jesus? And they're about to persecute Peter for that. Peter says, no, 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 I, I don't even know him. Happens one more time. Babe, we saw you with Jesus, right? No, 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 I've never seen him before. And in that moment, the rooster crows, Jesus looks at Peter, and, and you can know for a fact Peter's heart sunk, and he was completely ashamed. Is Peter an ordinary guy? You ever been a little afraid to be public about your faith? That's ordinary, right? Peter was an ordinary guy, but look at how God uses him in the book of Acts. When these tongues of fire came down and people began to speak in all these different languages, there were people in the crowd that said, they're drunk. After all, how could they be doing that? Now, I don't know about you, but the natural outpouring usually of being drunk is not to speak eloquently in another language. But that's what they thought. They thought, hey, they must be drunk. They've had too much to drink. But what we see is this. Peter gets used by God to proclaim 
all of a sudden the Spirit of God alive in him does something incredible. It says this in verse 14. It says, then Peter stood up with the 11. Again, an ordinary guy. We have no evidence in the scripture that Peter has ever given a full-length sermon in his life. Not a seminary-trained guy. Not a guy that could just pull out of his back pocket a polished, polished script. Probably not that kind of a guy. It says, then Peter, though he stood up with the 11, raised his voice. And he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, if you keep going, I recommend, read this on your own. For the next 24 verses, we see Peter give a message that was so good and so strong that God used it in a significant way. Again, Peter was an average guy, but what did God do? What did the Spirit of God alive in Peter do? Gave him confidence and it gave him words, and it allowed him to speak. This can happen to you. This can happen to you over coffee with a friend. This can happen to you with a coworker. This can happen to you in your family. This can happen to you in front of your whole company. This can happen to you in an auditorium with thousands of people. God can give you the confidence to proclaim, to bear witness to the fact that you are are a Christian if you are, that you have faith in Christ. And he can not only give you the confidence, but we see here he gives Peter the words to speak. He prompts you. He whispers to you. And if we're open to the whispers of God, we're amazed at what he does. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with one of our neighbors, and, and we were just kind of talking in the yard, and, and, and God just nudged me as clear as God kind of nudges me. You know how it is? God just brings a thought into your mind and just a whisper from the Holy Spirit. And, and it was this. It was as clear as it, any other nudge is to me. And it was this. Jeff, bring up faith in Christ again. It's time. But there was a problem with that nudge from the Lord. We weren't talking about faith in Christ. Imagine that. <laughs> We're talking about camping. And I didn't see how camping... And faith in Christ, we're going to go together. And so I said to the Lord, we're not talking about faith in Christ. <laughs> and frankly, I don't think he wants to. And really honest, I kind of got to get going. And the Spirit of God kept nudging. And I thought he had to get going, but he kept talking. So that was shot. And so I kept kind of listening. And God kept saying, come on. I think it's time to talk about faith in Christ with him again. So I didn't know what to say. Well, what am I going to say? We're talking about camping. Uh, have you ever sat around the fire with Jesus? I mean, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm dying on the vine here, Lord. Help me. And I didn't want to. I'm dragging. So finally, I said, the next little in the conversation, I'm just going to step through the door. I don't know what, what to say. And so I said to this guy, I said, uh, low in the conversation, I said, hey, you mentioned a while back that you attended a church a couple times with your girlfriend. I just wanted to see how that was going for you. And I thought, oh, I don't know if that was a good intro, you know, how that is. And, and I just got to be honest with you. And every time this happens, I just think to myself, Jeff, when the spirit nudges, just walk through the door. That led to the most significant spiritual conversation that he and I have had in years. And I just go, okay, God, would you help me to be the kind of man that I don't ignore the promptings of God, but I'm more apt to say, you say so, I will. 
God, you'll give me the confidence. God, you'll give me the words to speak when I don't feel like I have any. The question isn't, will you be prompted by God? Because if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is alive in you. That's not up for debate. The question is, will I be responsive to it? Will you? J.D. Greer, I uh, put this book title in your program this morning. He wrote a great book on this. But he made a statement. He said this. He said, where the Spirit of God is not cherished, it will not be experienced. Where the Spirit of God is not cherished, it will not be experienced. Meaning that if you say no to the leadings of God over and over again, it's going to be hard to hear the leadings of God. Where the Spirit of God is not cherished, it will not be experienced. Fast forward now to the end of Peter's message. Again, God gave him the confidence and God gave him the words to speak. It says this toward the end of it. Verse 36, therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? It says that they were cut to the heart, meaning this, the Holy Spirit was doing a work in them. Nobody comes to Christ unless God prompts their heart, unless God cuts them to the heart. The Spirit of God does that work. And that's what's happening. And so this crowd is hearing Peter, and they're saying, okay, well, what should we do, Peter, in response to this? The Spirit of God, it says, cut him to the heart, meaning it revealed, hey, this is who Jesus is. And I just want to take a time out here this morning and say this. You might be here today, and you might say, I don't have the Spirit of God alive in me. How is that possible? Peter answered that question. Peter said, here's what you do. He said, I want you to repent Turn, turn from your life, turn from your ways and say, okay, I'm going this way. I repent of the wrong in my life. I say, Jesus, would you forgive me of that? And I go the other way with Jesus Christ leading my life. Is it perfect? No. Take a look at mine. But is it under the realm of God is now the leader? Yes. And so Peter says, repent and be baptized. And these people, they responded. It says this in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Imagine that. 3,000 people, they heard the message. God, the Spirit, of li- uh, the Spirit of God alive in Peter speaks through him, and these people respond. 3,000 people step forward, and they say, I believe, and as a symbol of my belief, I'm baptized. I identify with Christ. Now, you can just bet the other disciples were like, Peter, you are on tonight. You killed it, man. I mean, you can just imagine that. Peter, that's the best sermon we've ever heard. And I bet you Peter, though, looked at them and said, guys, you know me. I put my foot in my mouth almost every time I speak. It was God alive in me. It was the Spirit of God alive in me, and I was alive to it today. He nudged me. He said, hey, stand up. And we stood up. And all of a sudden, I, I began to speak. And then I looked, and I, wow, look what God's doing. Keep going in chapter 2, and we see more evidence. What does it look like when the Spirit of God is alive in us? Number one, it allows us to proclaim who he is to people, right? Keep going in the text. And just ask yourself this question. Do I see this in my life? Yes, no. Yes, no. And it'll help you. Okay, am I alive to the Spirit of God that's alive in me? Verse 42, it says, and Steve did a great job teaching us through this passage last week. 
says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the Spirit of God is alive in these people, and what do they do? They take God's word, and they devote themselves to it. This is really important. God will never prompt you to do something that would contradict his written word. His spoken, his promptings to you will never be contradictory to the things that he's given you in print. Never. And so you'll be able to discern, okay, is that from me or is that from God? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And then it says, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Imagine that. There were many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. Meaning this, they were generous with what they had because they realized that what they had was from God. I was talking to a gal recently, and she said, she was talking about how God has begun to um, uh, uh, give them the discipline in their family of tithing. So they see their money differently. When their money comes in, they tithe. They tithe to the work of God. And she, she made this statement. She said, the last person I want to rob is God. What they're saying is this, the spirit of God alive in them, what did it do? They were generous with what they had. In verse 46, it says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, meaning that they looked around and they cared for each other. That's what we talked about last weekend. What I love, this is such a, a celebration. We have a picture of this. Um, last weekend, 230 of you got into a small group, most of you for the first time. And you're saying this, you're saying, hey, I, I understand that, accountability and care and caring for others would be smart and to get in a group where we're studying the scriptures together, that's a sign of the spirit of God that is alive in you. And then it continues. The last verse says this. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. When the spirit of God is alive, people are coming to know Christ. There is nothing greater than it. The apostle Paul I love it. Again, asking that question, what does it look like for ordinary people, you and I, to experience the, the, the Spirit of God alive in us? Verse 6, chapter 8 of Romans, Paul said this, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and it is peace. To be alive to the Spirit of God sometimes means this. It means in order to bring life and peace, what God does is this. He convicts you of your sin. He convicts me of mine. I was preparing, as I was preparing for this message this week, I got an email in, into my inbox and, and it was asking me a very simple question. A person just writing to me, they asked me a very simple question. But I assumed that there was a question behind their question. You know what I'm talking about? Their email was fine. Nothing wrong with it at all. Um, but I assumed a motive. Have you ever done that? Maybe I'm the only one. Um, and so I assumed kind of the worst, which was wrong. And so I'm answering the question they've asked me. But as I'm typing, I'm thinking of what was the question behind the question. And so I noticed, though, I was beginning to type faster, hitting the keyboard hard and smoke. I felt like it was going to start coming out of the thing, you know. And, and it, it wasn't good. And I felt like the faster I typed, the more I was winning. And I felt like I was climbing like a podium, in a sense. And it was like, oh, Jeff, why are you assuming that? The Spirit of God hit me. Just a little bit later after I finished that email, I'm watching this other pastor online teach. And he made this point. He said this. 
He said, are you the kind of person that you take too quick offense? Do you need to relax and give someone else the benefit of the doubt? And the Spirit of God nailed me. I thought, you know what? It's not my opinion. It's not my job to judge a motive. And I had to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you, would you forgive me? I assumed something up there I shouldn't have assumed. It was wrong. But do you know what it reminded me of? When the Spirit of God comes, what does he do? He brings life and peace. And sometimes in order to bring life and peace, he convicts us of our wrong. But here's the beautiful thing. The Spirit of God, when he convicts us of our sin, it leads us, it pushes us not away from God, it pushes us straight to Jesus Christ. And so it was a reminder for me, okay, where do I need to go? When I sin, wow, I confess my sin, and then I was reminded by the Spirit of God, I am forgiven. I'm forgiven. J.I. Packer, I love how he said this. He said the Spirit of God, it's, it's like, the Spirit of God is like a floodlight. If you've ever been out looking for something in a field dark at night or even more dark out on a body of water and you're looking for something important, what does a floodlight do? It illuminates what you're looking for. The Spirit of God, it points you. It illuminates who Jesus Christ is. It leads you right back to Jesus where you belong, which then brings Romans 8, life and peace. And so here's where I want to leave you this morning. I want to take you right back to our question. Here it is. Am I alive to the Spirit of God who is alive in me? Because the fact of the matter is that the Spirit of God is alive in followers of Christ, from very young ones to very old ones. And the Spirit of God would long to do nothing more, to look at his church, at his people, and say, I want to do great things in and through you. And so the question isn't, is the Spirit of God alive in me? The question is, will I be alive? Will, when, when the Spirit of God nudges me, will I listen and will I walk through that? Will I revere God's Word in such a way that I can decipher whether it's me or whether it's the Spirit of God alive in me? Imagine a relationship with God that is so dynamic, so dynamic, that the word stale, the word religion is so far from what you experience. The rock star and scholar Bono said it so well. He said, religion is what happens when the Spirit of God has left the building. You know, I think God looks at us and he longs for us to be the kind of people that we are alive to the Spirit of God in us. And so let's do this. Let's just pray together and let's just say, God, we don't want to just go through the motions but we want to have this incredibly dynamic relationship that you promise us through faith in Christ. And so, yeah, would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, I just thank you, Lord, this morning that you are not distant from us, God, but you are so incredibly close. And, Lord, when you look at your children, you didn't say, hey, I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to leave you. But, no, you said, I'm going to give you this gift and the spirit, my spirit, the spirit of God will be alive in you. And so, Father, would you make Brookside, Lord, would you continue to lead us to be the kind of people that throughout our day, I pray that, Lord, we would put even that question in key places this week and we would see it again and again. And we would be the kind of people that continually ask the question, am I alive to the spirit of God that is clearly alive in me? And, Father, I pray this morning for the person who would be out there and would say, you know what, 
today was the day for me. I repented, I turned to you, and now the Spirit of God is alive in them. Father, thank you for the good work you do. Lord, lead us now, we pray. Amen.